On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Now, this weekend marks the anniversary of an event which shook British politics to its very foundations, the Phoenix Park Murders. On the 6th of May, 1882, yesterday being their anniversary, uh, grabbed the attention of the world when a secret assassination society, a secret assassination society, I'm, I'm gripped already. <laughs> As opposed to a publicly registered one on the, on the, <laughs> there you go. On the stock exchange. Well, they don't, don't publicly advertise <laughs> their services. Secret assassination society, the Invincibles, targeted the Chief Secretary of Ireland and the Permanent Undersecretary as they walked along Chesterfield Avenue in the Phoenix Park. One of those men was only on his first day in the job. Today, there is a cross that marks the spot in the Phoenix Park where these murders took place, although... Nobody is entirely sure who put it there. And that was, of course, the voice of Donald Fallon, who's here to tell us all about it. Donald, good to see you as ever. The 6th of May will now be synonymous with something very different in Anglo-Irish relations. Yeah, absolutely. Look, a British monarch coming to the throne in a manner that was unprecedented. I was looking in the newspaper archives at Queen Elizabeth II's coronation. I thought we Mm. might have done that this week. And uh, there was absolutely no coverage of it. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't on the front page of the Irish press or anything. The front page was that Sean T. O'Kelly was given the freedom of the city of Dublin. Okay, and it was like fair. an also-ran story, you know, mm. in the newspapers in the 1950s. It's like that Private Eye front page from this week, that man in hat sits on chair. Brilliant. That's brilliant. Pretty much the sum total that, that, of it. that was our attitude, just yeah. ignore it and act like it's not happening. But, I mean, yesterday the president on Uchtaran Ahera was in attendance, so it was the Taoiseach, the Irish language dimension uh, to proceedings was, was interesting uh, as well. Mm. But King Charles's date of coronation... May 6th, that is a date that was once synonymous, you know, with very, very different events as we're talking about today yeah. uh, in the Phoenix Park. And yet these events, I mean, they really did shake British politics. They threatened to bring down Charles Stuart Parnell, created a very real atmosphere of fear in Ireland, massive increase in security in the Westminster Parliament, you know, amongst other things. And look, that's exactly what they were intended to do. Um, Chesterfield Avenue, which is, for people who, who don't know the names of these things, it's that long, very straight road that runs directly through the heart of the Phoenix Park past Orson Uchtaran. It does have a great feeling of importance. It does, doesn't it? And I often think about, you know, visiting heads of state when they're when they're going to the Oris uh, mm. to, to see Michael D. Higgins. It must be just this great feeling of a European boulevard as you make your way up uh, Chesterfield Avenue. And one reason it feels so powerful these days is that there is no parking on it. Yes. Since COVID yeah. times, they've yeah. stopped people parking on Chesterfield Avenue. So you really feel the the, the, the sense of occasion when, you, mm. when you're driving up that road. It does it's, make the zoo slightly less convenient, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, all the parents are shouting at the radio saying that yeah. now. But it's over three and a half miles long, which is extraordinary, you know, from the Castle Knock mm. Gate uh, to the City Gate. And as you go up it, I mean, you pass things, you know, you've got that like imposing uh, Wellington testimonial. And then on the other side, there's that lovely moment, you're the break in the trees mm. and you can see into Oris and Uchtaran, formerly mm. the, the Vice Regal Lodge. And you remember during the early days of COVID, people had lovely little exchanges with Michael D. Yes. Through that yeah. little break. They were off walking within their two yeah. or their 5K and Michael D was just out in the back garden and get shared <laughs> across the ditch. Yeah. Like there's no other country in the world where that kind of thing can happen. But yeah, I think the absence of cars on the road contributes to that feeling uh, when you're journeying along it today. But if you're going up and you're paying very, very close attention, on the other side of Chesterfield Avenue, from that break in the trees, you can see the Oris. There's this little cross in the ground, and it marks oh. the location of the Phoenix Park murders or assassinations, depending who you ask. And I mean, look, I, I was asking people about this recently. The cross in the park, everyone's mind goes, "Oh yeah, the cross in the park." You know, the massive, big yeah. Scott Talon Walker the cross. cross. Yeah, yeah of from the papal visit in the 1970s. No, this is much humbler. This is 60 centimeters long. There's a small amount of gravel uh, in it, and it's just hidden there. And Frank McNally, you know. 
Irishman's Diary what a great column mm. he described it as Dublin's least visible historical monument which is a great way of putting it actually when, when you sent in the notes for this today and I was wondering where is this memorial the, the very fact that it's opposite the break in the trees because if you're driving along and you're going to look around you're always going to look up and look at the break in the trees to see the oars and see if mm. Michael D is there one of the dogs uh, there along the ditch you, you never think of looking in the opposite direction which is maybe the reason why a lot of people don't see why it's there um, you just mentioned some of the dispute there is around all of this even what to call these events is somewhat disputed. Are they the Phoenix Park murders or are they the Phoenix Park assassinations? Yeah, I, they, they captivated everyone. I mean, this was front page news for a long, long time because they didn't catch the guys for a long time. And yeah, like James Joyce, you know, in Finnegan's Wake, he calls the Phoenix Park the Phoenix Park. You know, everyone <laughs> was obsessed with this story for a long, long time for reasons we'll get into in a while. But the men who carried out these killings, the Invincibles, I mean, they're a secret society within a secret society. It's a Hollywood movie waiting to be made. An assassination team within the Fenians. So the Fenians is already an outbound secret society, mm. an underground revolutionary society. Yeah. And these are like a pressure group within it, you know, established wow. uh, with the aim, I suppose, of targeting uh, members of the British administration in Ireland. They say, in their own words, there was no alternative but to meet the assassin rule of Britain uh, by force. Okay. So what they want to do, I suppose, is target... Political, targeted political assassinations, not so much against men as they see it, but against political offices. Mm. You know, they want to scare people out of holding these political offices. And then using surgical knives, of all things, uh, the Invincibles target Thomas Henry Burke and Lord Frederick Cavendish on his first day in the job, which is just extraordinarily yeah. bad luck. Uh, Cavendish is on his first day in the job. Thomas Henry Burke was far from new in the job and, and ultimately he was the one that they were probably setting out to try and take down on the day. Because it's all in his title. He's the permanent undersecretary. So what yeah. that means is, you know, he's part of this permanent bureaucracy, yeah. constant British administration in Ireland and they hate him. I mean, the Fenians call him the castle rat. And actually, you know, in, in terms of his own views, he's kind of quietly in favour of of home rule. He kind of wants to reform Ireland little mm. by little. Uh, but they see him, I think, because of the permanence of his, nat- of his of his post and everything else, as a symbol, if you will, of, of, of the British occupation. So this is, is, is very targeted. By comparison, Cavendish, I mean, he's on the first day in his post. Burke was definitely the intended target. And I think poor old Cavendish was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He'd literally just walked into the job He'd followed on from a much-hated man, William Forster, who was known to nationalists as Buckshot Forster, uh, because he was very much in favour of, kind of coming down hard on, on, on the nationalist movement. So, yeah, the man they wanted, Buckshot, was a day gone out of the country. And poor Cavendish, walking alongside Burke, is got instead. And one thing which is remarkable about all of this is that um, with surgical knives and with the high profile of the targets, one might think that this was something that was done after dark, in the dead of night. It wasn't. This was in a really busy park, and it was full of people just out yeah. for a stroll and yeah. just relaxing. And I mean, when you read the newspaper reports of the day, I mean, this is a contemporary newspaper report. It's like reading about a murder today, you know. The place where the tragedy occurred is an open highway. It is the leading road to the Viceregal Lodge, the Chief Secretary's residence and the residence of the Undersecretary and continues outwards to the country. In summer, it's an extremely popular walk and at the time this crime was perpetuated, there must have been hundreds of people in a short distance of the spot. Possibly this was the reason the knife or dagger was resorted to instead of the revolver. The report of firearms would necessarily have attracted attention and this from both quarters of the park so that detection might easily have followed. But the method adopted had the advantage of being silent and sure no matter how savage and as a result proved the assassins got away without the faintest shadow. Which was the, I was thinking there when you're talking through it surgical knives it's a particular choice of thing but they, you understand why there's no gunshot that can be heard in the distance there's Absolutely. nobody who can who can place the time it gives people uh, some real deniability. Um, this whole thing threatens to bring down um, Charles Stuart Parnell and, and don't forget that we're talking about something that happened in 1882 here so he's still 
very much at the peak of his powers. He's the uncrowned king of Ireland. And he finds himself in a very tricky position because he has to move very quickly then to condemn this. Oh, yeah, and I mean, there's fury in Westminster and there's, there's a belief that, you know, are people going to be, you know, knifing MPs uh, in the streets yeah. of London? Do we need to change our, our security precautions? And Parnell finds himself in this very tricky position. He has to condemn this publicly and he lends his name to a manifesto condemning an act which has stained the name of hospitable Ireland. But I think the really remarkable thing about this is that even inside the Fenian movement, uh, you know, Parnell and those around him are like, who did this? You know, who someone has to someone has to go to the gallows for this. Who did this? Even within the Fenian movement, there wasn't general knowledge uh, of who had done it. Mm. And it looked like basically for a year, it actually looked like these guys were going to get away with it. Mm. A year to apprehend the killers, and in the end, they get them. Uh, and the men are hanged at Kilmainham Jail for, for their involvement uh, in the assassinations. But I mean, for the guts of a year, there was real fear in the political class that this kind of thing could happen again. Which maybe then brings us to the real plot twist, which is the, the fact that there was an informer who outed the five men who were ultimately hanged in Kilmainham and he himself ends up being targeted for having turned super grass. Which is amazing. I mean, this is like, again, this is like a Hollywood movie. You know, James Carey, who's a leader of the conspiracy. I mean, he is involved in procuring the surgical knives that are used to kill these men. He ultimately betrays uh, his fellow invincibles mm. in the courtroom and they all go down on his word. And in time, you know, when they when 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 Kerry thinks he's got away with it, it's just amazing little plot twist. Kerry's leaving the country under a false identity, and a bricklayer called Patrick O'Donnell, who's sympathetic to the Fenian movement, uh, is on board the same boat, learns his identity, uh, and kills him. And in, in Dublin, the New York Times tells their readers there are celebrations. Eight enormous bonfires were built around Carey's late residence. There were also bonfires on other streets throughout the city. Wow. Bands marched through the streets playing national airs, followed by crowds of people who cheered as they marched. I mean, it doesn't really sound like people were particularly sad um, that Carey was killed in that way. And it pops up in that great song, Monto. You know, it wasn't very sensible to tell on the Invincibles. But that was certainly proven to be true uh, for, for James Carey. Yeah, we talked. You only talked about Take Her Up to Monto a few weeks ago and I didn't realise until you'd said it a few weeks ago that it's actually satirical. But there is that, that line, it wasn't very sensible to tell on the Invincibles to stand up for the principles day. Yeah, nice. Which just, it all, all comes together. Um, to give a sense of just how big the story was, um, Carey, the man who's uh, just been killed on the um, the boat, he ends up with his likeness in a museum because he is such an infor- uh, an infamous supergrass. And not yeah. just any old museum either. So you know nowadays the, the big trend in podcasts is murder podcasts. Yes, and yeah, yeah. I was looking at lists. Thanks for helping us to yeah. sort of inch towards the algorithm there. <laughs> books, really books, that are, books that are coming out this year, there's three or four books on, on, on murders yeah. in, in the months ahead from Irish publishers. People are obsessed with murder. And that's not new. And in, in the days of the Phoenix Park murders, that was true as well. Carrie's likeness ends up in Madame Tussaud's Chamber of Horrors. <laughs> Wow. Along, alongside replicas of the knives used. And this is the one I find amazing. Somehow, Madame Tussauds in, in, in London, they actually managed to get the jaunting car that was used by the men in their getaway. That's like, so. that, like I was already beginning to wonder, but if this guy Carey isn't well known or his face isn't recognised by people and you're like, she could just throw up any old thing. But this was like of such interest oh, yeah. that they got the car. Yeah, they got this, the getaway vehicle. This was a, this was a celebrity case in its, in, in, in its own way. And you know, Carey's name kind of passes down through the generations. He's kind of become synonymous then, you know, with the, with the risk of informing, you might mm. say. But the Invincibles, I mean, they're more forgotten. They're all in Kilmainham Jail and there is a kind of campaign to have them removed to Glasnevin Cemetery. And if they ever actually manage to move them to Glasnevin, what's kind of really fascinating in a weird way is 
the Thomas Henry Burke who they killed is buried in, in Glasnevin <laughs> Cemetery. So these guys are kind of forgotten in, in, in Camelham Jail while the victim was up the road in Glasnevin. Um, these events might have been forgotten from popular memory unless of course you can spot the, the cross opposite the gap in the trees beside the Aurus but the people do still tend to the memorial down there. People leave flowers on it. People leave um, you know commemorative pictures of the, the two men that were killed which is, oh. which is extraordinary. No one really seems to know who does that. I'm working on a book at the minute on the Phoenix Park with the, Fal- the Flanagan family. It's an amazing family. One family has done the Phoenix Park gas lamps since the 1890s. Wow. Which is just extraordinary. That's amazing. Like their grandfather did the job. They're still doing the job. And yeah, Frank Flanagan, who's 92 years of age and is still looking after the gas lamps at the Phoenix Park, he told me that his granny was actually working in the park on the day the Phoenix Park murders happened and how, to quote him, my grandmother was in the undersecretary's lodge. She was present when that happened. She remembered the toing and froing, the horses galloping crazily. She remembered being in the lodge, the horses going up and down, which was very unusual in itself. Normally, they'd just be trotting. And she remembered the police arriving and all the panic of it. Isn't that extraordinary? To have that memory in a, yeah. in a family even today. For it still to be first-hand. Uh, amazing stuff. That is the next book coming from the man who produced the Easton's Book of the Year 2022, Three Castles Burning, A History of Dublin in 12 Cities. Dublin, uh, Donald Fallon, thank you very much uh, as ever uh, for that. And we'll see you again at the same time next week. On the Record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation. On News Talk.